You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, June 8th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Obi-Wan Kenobi, Episode 4. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Slash Film's resident Star Wars expert, Brian Young. Hey, that's that's me. <laughs> Brad, you weren't here last week. We had to do do everything without you. We had to do three episodes. In, or th- yeah, we had to cover three episodes in one podcast. Oh, you did all three episodes. Wow. Yeah, and we did it in like... It was How like our was usual it? two hours. Yeah. I don't know. I, I was I was proud of us that we were able to get three episodes done at a time. Uh, but we did gloss over a bunch of stuff, which uh, we'll get into in feedback. But, you know, before we get started, since you weren't here last week, uh, you, you were sick under the weather, couldn't join us. Um, I thought I'd get your reaction to Obi-Wan parts one through three. Sure. Um, I'm enjoying the series so far. Uh, I, th- I like it a lot. Um, I think that there's, you know, Ewan McGregor obviously is the driving force of the series and he's been fantastic in the show. Um, I think that if, if I, um, I had any complaints about these, uh, those first three episodes, it's that, uh, and they're not necessarily even complaints. It's just, um, the, the series feels surprisingly small in scope. Um, and also in like, 
the the production itself. Like I think that if there's th- this is an overarching problem with the Star Wars series in general. I think is there's a lot of like just switching out uh, different small towns and you know having a bunch of extras in in the background and whatnot and uh our characters making their way through them you know with little action piece set pieces here and there um and there's a little bit of variation throughout but like this one i feel like it's it's a very it has a very similar feel to it because of that and it doesn't quite have the same scope as uh the star wars movies or or even something like like the mandalorian um but I think that the story that is at the center of the series is compelling enough to keep you interested. And that's mostly because of what a great character Obi-Wan is and seeing how you know he goes from being uh, this Jedi Master, you know, who was once so confident in uh, the, Jedi, the Jedi Council that he's now uh, become disillusioned and seeing how he turns into, you know, the, the older... Um, wizened character that we see in in a new hope and we get to see uh how like there's a, a history with with leia and see more of her as, as a kid which i'm i'm actually you know uh loving seeing leia in, in this form and seeing this precocious child that she was um but otherwise like i i think maybe um i'm also not necessarily super impressed with the supporting performances from from the villains so far as far as the yeah. inquisitors are concerned um, you know, uh, I think Moses Ingram isn't necessarily bad, but she's, it feels like she's trying too hard to be villainous and it doesn't feel as intimidating as it should. Um, maybe I'm reading that, that wrong, but I kind of get that impression, but I feel like that's a character choice, not her actor choice. And that we might see her kind of bend toward the light a little bit here by the end. Maybe, but like. I feel like you also have to be like convincing, you know, in your villainy, even if you're not necessarily fully dedicated to it, because like what she's doing and how she's been behaving so far, it's it's like, it feels like it has that vibe, but like, it's weird because she's a good actress. Like, uh, you know, there's been a lot of venom online. We talked about this last week, uh, the racism and stuff being slung her way. And, uh, I think what you're expressing here is uh, a criticism of her work and not, you know, obviously nothing to do with, all this the bad shit that's going yeah, on yeah of course I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not on board with any yeah. of that blind yeah. hate nonsense at yeah. all i just um because even before like that backlash happened like you can go back and read my review from after the premiere uh at star wars celebration like that was my my perspective and even you know like the rupert friend is the grand inquisitor uh you know that's uh it, he's fine he's not bad but like i can't help but think how much better it would have been if jason isaacs came back and did that role in instead um, and you have Soon Kang, you know, under a bunch of makeup as well. Feels like it's a, a limited performance, but uh, yeah, for me, it's it's you and McGregor that is the driving force of the show. Um, the I think the prospect of like what there is lingering with uh, his relationship with Anakin, who is now Darth Vader, is probably the most intriguing part of it, and has been one of the most satisfying elements of the show so far. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely curious to see. Uh, what happens as we uh, near the end of the show, which is it's just happening all too fast. Yeah, I think your thoughts like mirrored mine last week. I I think yeah, that my main criticism of the show is that fe- a lot of these Marvel shows like feel like they're trying to do a movie on the small screen, and here this feels weird because it feels like Star Wars is trying to do TV. Do you know what I mean? It feels kind of TV. You can feel the sets you can feel the small scale of it and uh, it doesn't feel as big as the movies yeah yeah um 
Okay, let's get into this. Or, or, Brian, do you have anything to say uh, about I mean, what Brad I just, said? Because I, I could, I could feel you fuming behind the. No, I'm not <laughs> fuming at all. I mean, you, you're both entitled to your opinion, yeah. and, and it's not like we're arguing on Twitter like a bunch of jackasses. Um, it, and all three of us are liking the show. I should clarify that. Yeah, no, I. For me, the scale of the show hasn't bothered me because I've been invested enough in the character work. So I, I mean, like, like. I don't mind the TV scale at all so that it hasn't bothered me and I haven't seen it as a, a negative or a criticism because I'm so invested in that, the emotional core of the story. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's get into our feedback. Pat R. wrote in, uh, we were speculating last week, or I was speculating, that Reva uh, was a Padawan in that opening scene before her time with Empire. Um, Pat R writes in, I believe I have more backup. It looks like Reva is the only inquisitor that holsters her lightsaber on her waist while the others do on their back. Her saber is collapsed. Uh, so the spinning function that the grand inquisitor uses to take out flea is not functional as well. I, you're still dealing with the age issue, right? One of those Padawan. I'm not saying she wasn't a Padawan during her order 66, but I don't think she was one of those Padawans in the opening scene because she'd be like 15 years old here. Wait, how many, How long after Order 66 is this? 10 years. I think the Padawans in that scene are probably 10. No? I was thinking like, no, because by the time they're 10, like they're, they're like six or seven in that age range when they're, when they're doing that, um, those sorts of exercises in the, the Jedi Temple. Mm. So like... She'd be at the most like eighteen or nineteen, and I don't think they're playing Riva as that young. Okay, well, I, we I have more about to this last week, last week too, and I, <laughs> I, I was just like, the ages don't match, man. Well, I have more to say about this later on, and we'll get to it when we get there. But I, I thought that the observation that she doesn't uh, put her lightsaber on her back; she holds it like a Jedi. You know, it's on her waist. Uh, as you know, the Jedi are trained to kind of like have their their lightsaber on their waist. I think, and, and even her fighting style is more Jedi like. I'm not uh, doesn't doesn't her hair hang down her back? Yeah, I think her hair hangs down her back. Um, yeah, I, I wonder if that's uh, like maybe, just, maybe. I wonder yeah. if that's just a practical choice that makes it easier for her to grab her lightsaber yeah. without you know cutting her hair off or it getting in the way or something. Um, okay, uh, let's move on from that, but this will come back later, I will say. Um, also, I think last week we were speeding to cover three episodes at once, and because of that, we kind of glossed over a bunch of stuff. A, a lot of discussion on Star Wars Twitter this past week has been about a moment that we kind of like didn't address at all, but it was a moment in last week's episode where the mole-looking alien named Freck voiced by Zach Braff, offered Ben and Leia a ride. And when they actually get into the truck, they see this Imperial symbol on the back of the truck. And a lot of people, you know, are comparing this to, you know, things that are going on in our everyday lives with the... Uh, it's interesting, too, here in the Star Wars universe, because I feel like a story that you don't see often, at least in live action or on the big screen, is you don't see... The side of the sympathizers to the empire i mean you see dj and uh the last jedi but he's kind of playing you know whoever needs it but you don't typically see that you know there's some people in this this universe that see 
the order that the Empire is claiming to bring as a good thing. Right. Brian, I... I was going to say, I know you have something to say about this. There's definitely been like books and comics that have explored this, but, but yeah, like there, it feels very relevant and current to this day and age that sort of, I mean, like there are definitely some Star Wars fans that are upset about it um, because it looks like it's sort of talking about that MAGA conservatism. Yeah. And uh, Star Wars is, has really always been political, but you're right. Like, I, I don't think we've seen much of this in live action. Um, I, think, I think there's been a little bit more in, uh, on the TV shows and in books and comics, but yeah, not in live action, to yeah. my immediate recollection. The uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up, uh, actually, you texted me, Brian, about last week we were talking about James Earl Jones and our speculation on if he actually participated in voicing Darth Vader in this. I mean, the credits say James Earl Jones voicing Darth Vader, but we kind of were, were wondering about that. You had a theory. Yeah, so my theory is sort of like threefold. One is his name is in the credits, and I know in the past they've recorded a whole bunch of stuff for him so that they'd be able to use it in the future. Two, in the credits, like you pointed out, there's a company that does that, that audio uh, post-production kind of stuff that's, that's specifically geared toward this. And then but I was... They, they do like the AI where they feed in a bunch of lines and yeah. they're able to have him say anything. Um, and then there was that, that moment that Hayden Christensen was talking about where, where somebody said, like, is James Earl Jones back for the voice? He says, no comment. And it's like, we know Vader's back why would that be a no comment? And I feel like my guess is, is that they've actually got Hayden Christensen reading the lines and then matching um, filters over it and voice changing it using that technology. I, I don't well, know. The, maybe I the, credit, the, the credits do say J James Earl Jones as the voice of Darth yeah. Vader. Yeah. Well, as the voice, but if they've got Hayden Christensen reading the lines and then they're running the algorithm to put James Earl Jones's voice over Hayden's performance. I, well, I'll, I, I'll say this. Thank the maker. I was listening to their podcast last week and they pointed out last week's episode. There's a line that says, I, I am. And then there's a pause. What you made me And the I am. If you go back and listen to it is Hayden And the, what you made me sounds very James Earl Jones. So I think it, it is a mixture of sorts like I think in this episode I didn't hear any of the Hayden stuff but I'm wondering if that they were also mixing Hayden in but but that'd be weird to like give James Earl Jones the voice credit though I mean that's like giving Mark Hamill the the voice credit or the the credit for Luke in um Book of Boba Fett and like it yeah. was that voice just fed in there yeah, I think it's possible um, for for sure. I will say one thing I do appreciate about the voice is that um, I think that you could hear James Earl Jones's age when he would, did the voice in Rogue One, but uh, I didn't get that feel uh, here when he did any of his lines for Obi Wan. And I feel like they did a little bit of this in Return of the Jedi when Sebastian Shaw got in the suit and takes the mask off. They kind of transitioned the voices a little bit before they right before they take the mask off i could be wrong about that but that's been my impression since i was like very young 
that they they do something a little bit different and weird for the voice of the the break is not so jarring i'm sure we're gonna learn about this in the ne- in the eventual like behind gallery the scenes series, gallery yeah. yeah series um okay also i wanted to mention last week we were talking about you know is the grand inquisitor dead how does that work because we see him die in rebels and that takes place after this and does this break canon there's all these fanboys that are upset about you know lucasfilm and star wars because star wars and uh there was an interview with vanity affair where uh they talked to the screenwriter joby harold and they they asked him about this and his quote does not address it specifically but i think his quote is very telling his quote is uh as you know we would never break canon so that's all I'll say. Canon is everything. Yeah, there's no way the Inquisitor is, is dead. So, like, chill out, people. Yeah. Either he's not dead or he has a twin brother. <laughs> I mean, there, there's some explanation for it that will be in the show, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We've got between one and two hours left of real estate to find out. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I feel like it doesn't feel like we're in the end game, but we, we are in the end game. Yeah, we've got we've only got a third left. Yeah. Okay, uh, brief thoughts on this episode. Brian, have at it. This episode was really emotional, and I think it advanced Obi-Wan's arc in really interesting ways that I enjoyed. Um, but I thought it was horrifying, actually. I think this is the most horror that Star Wars has gotten. Like... You strap a 10-year-old girl into a torture device and have her screaming. Like, if if nothing else sold me on, on Vivian Lyra Blair's performance as Leia, it was this episode. Because, like, I could feel that, like, viscerally. Um, and I really loved all of the echoes to everything else. And I am dying to find out what happens next. Yeah, I thought the direction and the cinematography and the pacing of this episode just felt like notches above the last two. Not that I didn't like the last two, but it it felt more TV. And it, I'm not sure if it, it is it that it looked like they did more like they had more sets on this one or maybe that stagecraft is better used when it's like in this kind of environment rather than like you know, creating like this neon Star Wars city. I don't know. Well, it, I, it just I felt see, like. I wonder if the stagecraft was actually outside the windows. Yeah. Right? And and maybe that makes a difference in in that separation where when you have a physical separation of set between you or maybe it's not. Maybe those windows were part of the stagecraft, too. Who knows? But to me, it, it just felt more cinematic than the previous two installments it, it, while Honestly, I mean, obviously, the last episode where you have a confrontation between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan, a a lightsaber fight, should feel more cinematic than, you know, someone being held prisoner. So I'm not saying, like, it's not a big moment, but it just felt like the way it was shot. I was actually, when I got to the credits, I was looking for the cinematographer. I'm like, I'm betting this is going to be a different cinematographer, but it wasn't. So I (laughs) We talked last week, though, about how that it feels like maybe they're really saving that big epic confrontation. And this one is supposed to seem smaller scale or the one from last week. Brad, what is your feelings on this week's episode? 
Uh, I thought it was a pretty good episode. Um, my my perspective on the the scale of the show, I think, still stands here. Like, it definitely still feels uh, small, and like they're doing stuff on on a budget. You know, lots of empty hallways and you know very very basic confrontations that, that kind of thing uh but i i did you know still still enjoy the episode for the most part you know the confrontation with the the inquisitors and the battling of the stormtroopers i like seeing the purge troopers and really i mean there's there's a lot of stuff that comes from star wars should i fall in order in here which is pretty cool uh seeing that come into live action um from you know and we'll get to the specifics of that you know as we dig through the episode but yeah i, I, I i'm it's interesting. Like I'm, I'm very much enjoying this series, but I'm also not necessarily like overwhelmed by its its scope or its its stakes or yeah. you know uh, or its scale or anything like that. So like it's it's pr- it's pretty good, you know. Um, but I just I, I I wish it was a movie and I wish it had that bigger feel to it. I think I think that's my biggest thing so far is that this this very easily could have been a movie and as we know was once intended uh to be a movie whether it was this exact story or not and i just i kind of wish that obi-wan did get that that big screen treatment yeah um before we get into our breakdown i just want to bring up an observation i saw from screen crush editor matt singer which i thought was worth mentioning he he had a theory that every episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi so far, it's been mirroring, mirroring the same chapter in the Skywalker saga. So episode one featured the kidnapping of a young woman and takes place on Tatooine. Episode two deals with intrigue and is set in the water world uh, and uh, a neon underworld. Episode three has Anakin and Obi-Wan lightsaber duel leading to the burning of one character. Episode four has... Uh, you know, many similarities to A New Hope. Leia is captured and interrogated. Uh, a rebel group breaks into the Imperial base. Uh, Vader lets them go because he, you know, there's a beacon aboard, uh, beacon aboard their ship. So I, I'm not sure this is intentional, but I like the theory enough to bring it up. No, as you're saying that, I'm going through my head through all of them going like, yeah, I feel I feel like I missed a trick not not picking up on that yet. And I mean, I guess that would mean structurally for the next one, it would start with the Empire striking back and them having to retreat even further and Obi-Wan losing something, which would which would track for the penultimate episode right at the end where they have their confrontation and then Return of the Jedi for the sixth episode would be Obi-Wan coming back and trying to bring Vader back to the light. And maybe there's something there with Qui-Gon with uh, Yoda. Maybe yep. there's some kind of yep. uh, parallel. Yeah. I, I'm interested to see how that plays out in the next coming weeks, uh, because maybe it is intentional I, I, at this point. I think it could be, or could, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure, but um, okay. Let's get into the breakdown. Uh, last week, <laughs> Excuse me for a minute, guys. I'm, I'm going to take you down a, a hole that probably shouldn't be going down, but I am obsessive, and I apologize in advance. Uh, last week, I had this revelation that the characters in the Star Wars branded intro before the show changed uh, from show to show. So, you know, the, the characters that appear in that Star Wars branded intro with, like, the blue and red lights uh, on The Mandalorian are different characters from the book of Boba Fett that are different characters from bad batch that are different color uh, characters to Kenobi. But then I, I, and I even went back and I checked and the characters stay the same for the entire series. So the characters are the same in every episode of the book of Boba Fett. 
they're the same in season one, episode one of the Mandalorian to season two, the finale of the, uh, the, the last episode of the Mandalorian. Now, what, why I'm bringing this up is because I noticed this week it changed in Obi-Wan. So the first three episodes of Obi-Wan had R2-D2, a purge trooper, BB-8, uh, the armorer, mouse droid, Kylo Ren, Mando, C-3PO, and Vader. And then this week it changed uh, for the second half of Obi-Wan. It changed to Ned B, a character we met last week. The gonk droid that Obi-Wan used as a time clock in the first episode. C-3PO, Kylo Ren, an X-Wing helmet, uh, R2-D2, the Mandalorian, Lola, the droid that uh, Leia has, and Darth Vader. So uh, a few of them changed, a few of them didn't change. And the other notable thing here is the Purge Trooper that was in the first three episodes of Obi-Wan is a character that we have not seen, or that design of the Purge Trooper. We've seen him in Jedi Fallen Order. We'll talk about that later. But this design of the Purge Trooper is something we haven't seen until this episode. So that that character was in the first three episodes in the intro, but we hadn't seen them in live action in, in that design until this episode. Okay, so that's a long way of me... Maybe this is me. Uh, I'm not sure if either of you have watched Ozark, but Ozark does this thing where the logo of Ozark is always comprised of four images that that spell out Ozark. And those images it almost looks like clip art are things that happen in that episode, that week's episode. So it kind of like if you notice that you're like, oh, when is the lottery ticket going to come into play? And it comes into play later on in a way that you didn't suspect. I'm not saying that this is happening here because obviously I don't think they had this plan for Book of Boba Fett or the Mandalorian, uh, but it seems like it seems weird to be changing these halfway through the season. And Brian, I wanted to hear, do you, do you have any thoughts on this or do you think I, I'm just like over obsessing about something that doesn't matter? Um, I mean, like they're not above doing it. If you remember in the Clone Wars, there were definitely some episodes that had blue logos and and mall episodes that were highly dramatic always had red logos so they're not above doing that stuff but i think with this star wars like tv logo intro i think they're just having fun with it yeah i mean i, I get that it just seems to me why change it halfway through the season brad because <laughs> they really like that droid <laughs> brad am i insane uh, no, I, I'm, I I think it's just a fun little thing that they're doing just because they, they can and, and why not. So, you know, just, just enjoying themselves. Yeah. Okay, um, let's move on from my my hole here and let's um, let's get to the actual episode. So Tala puts Ben in the back to tank so he can recover from his severe burns that he suffered from the confrontation with Darth Vader. And... Uh, the minute Ben was put into the back to tank, I thought, like Book of Boba Fett, this is where the Clone Wars flashbacks are going to come. Here's where the Order 66 flashbacks are going to come. We're, 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 this is going to be a flashback episode. I'm actually kind of glad that I was wrong. <laughs> but, uh, but Ben does have nightmare flashbacks of the, that recent duel, and he submerges from the tank uh, before he's fully healed. And, uh, yeah, he learns he's on a planet called... Jab- Jabim. Jabim. It's spelled yeah. with two I's, so it's kind of complicated. Yep. Yeah, J-A-B-I-I-M. Is this a planet we've heard of before, Brian? 
not that I'm aware of. I think this is new for Obi Wan. Um, Actually, I I, I have an answer for you. Well, you, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna um, take you to task on this one, Brian. No, because okay. it only appeared on a map in oh. the Star Wars: The Force Awakens beginner game. In fantasy uh fantasy flight games so it's it's not anything that's been like big in star wars canon so it's oh yeah no it's it's a, it's first appearance in anything important is this yeah yeah so um and it's uh situated in the regions known as the outer rim territories in the slice and uh I, actually it was also in a comic book it was in Republic 55 or something? Which is Dark Horse stuff. Um, or is it? Um, <laughs> I, I don't even remember. Yeah, it is Dark Horse. You, you were right, yeah. Brian. You were right. Um, yeah, like I've tried to jettison so much of that from my head so that I, I can fill <laughs> it with all the new stuff. Uh um, but, but yeah, and it was also in Star Wars Adventures number 29, which is a, um, that was IDW's comics. Ah, so that must be, because at some point uh, during the First Order Resistance War, it fell under control of the First Order who trafficked Wookiee slaves from Kashyyyk uh, to mine on, on the planet, and Chewbacca was captured and almost sent there. So I'm guessing that was part of that comic. Uh, but okay. Anyways, we're we're going down a hole that doesn't matter. Uh, he's on that planet, and that's before it was taken over by the First Order, and before uh, Wookiee slaves were forced to mine on the planet. Um, that's the future. Uh, this is the past, and um, he learns that Leia has been taken, and Leia is being held prisoner at Fortress Inquisitorius. Uh, and this is a location we saw last week but we really didn't get time to talk about it brad this is something from the fallen order video game indeed it is um it makes me want to after watching this episode it makes me want to play that game it's a good game i, I mean i've heard <laughs> but, yeah <laughs> but uh they uh so yeah so it seems like they're replicating a lot of locations seen in fallen order like even that like uh that uh torture cell or whatever that torture room was in that game the, the inquisitor chair yeah inquisitor chair um I, I kind of wonder i'm guessing we're gonna learn about this in the gallery show but I, I wonder if like the game company sent over the models for them to just like up res and render I, i'm guessing that they were probably working in tandem because i want to say doug chang was working on both yeah um and, uh, and, and, and you know what, my, my praise for the cinematography might just be that this stuff just looks so much, so Star Wars. I mean, it looks like so, so much original trilogy and uh, I don't know. It just, it feels like an Imperial, uh, base of some sorts. Uh, okay. So Leia believes her Jedi savior has, uh, will, will come, will come to save her, but, uh, Reverse tells her that Obi-Wan is actually dead. And I, I actually think this is a, some good acting here from, what's her name? Vivian Blair. Vera Blair, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, here's where I got to bring up the plot hole, Brian. 
I'm sorry. Okay. No, it's fine. We'll fix this. Okay, last week I was I brought this up last week. I was like, it doesn't make any sense that Leia knew Obi Wan back then because in A New Hope, uh, she knows her knows him as General Kenobi who worked with her father. Blah 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 blah. And I I came up with the the way out of that pothole that she does not know it's Obi Wan. She just yeah. knows him as Ben, a Jedi. But here. She says to him, Obi-Wan is dead. So she no knows he is a guy named Obi-Wan. But so, in but, her message to Bail Organa, she just says General Kenobi. She doesn't get the first name. She just gets General Kenobi, not Obi-Wan. It's the Kenobi part that she needs to not know. Brian, you've done it again. <laughs> <laughs> Had you really thought that up prior to this? Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. Okay. (laughs) Because I was gonna, I was gonna say, like, okay, you got it. That 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 might be good because there's also another part of this that uh, a friend of mine, uh, my friend Reza, brought up that at the end of New Hope, um, Leia sees. Obi-Wan basically get killed by Darth Vader. I mean, he doesn't get killed. He vanishes. But uh, I, w- I would assume in that moment that she would think that he got killed. And she has kind of no re- emotional reaction to that. And I, I mean, would think... She after- has as much of an emotional reaction as she does for Alderaan. I think she's just like compartmentalizing all of yeah. that. Because she has that line to the general. She's like, there's no time for our sorrows, Commander. And she just hands him the plans <laughs> and they're getting the fighting, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you make a good point here. Uh, I will say that I, I do like that because of the show, uh, you know, I was talking last week about how this makes us reevaluate canon. Like, how does how does this make us reevaluate the stuff that we've seen before, the stuff that takes place after? And, like, how is it going to be, is it going to make this whole journey worth it? And I, I do like that Leia naming her kid Ben now has more meaning because... Obi-Wan really didn't mean much to her. And uh, I do like that um, we're getting to see Leia get her inspiration for being with the rebellion and starting the resistance here and not just be, you know, she could have just grown up to be a politician. But I think here she's seeing uh, what inspires her to do those things. Um. Brad, what do you think of this whole plot hole? Is, is there a plot hole here? It, am I getting caught up on anything? Uh, no, I mean, I think Brian's explanation works so far. You know, as long as she doesn't hear <laughs> the name Kenobi, she has no uh, connection to make. And at, at the same time, though, I think even if she does learn the name, I feel like there's a certain formality to, like, the way she structures the message that, like, she doesn't feel the need to, like, play into the idea of, like... Talk, referencing something like that, especially if it's a communication that could potentially fall into somebody else's hands. She's, maybe she's being as vague as possible just to keep their relationship as like neutral, you know, maybe so that there's not, it doesn't seem like it's a personal thing. It feels like it's just strictly, you know, um, diplomatic, I guess you could say, asking for, for help in, in the war. I don't know. Okay, so we're back on Jabim and we meet Roken, who is an engineer and smuggler who helps with the path. Um, he is played by O'Shea Jackson Jr. Who, who is he, Brad? 
Uh, so he's Ice Cube's son, the rapper, and he actually played Ice Cube uh, in Straight Outta Compton, and uh, he's been a, you know, um, a steadily working actor ever since he uh, he had that role. That was a big breakthrough role for him, and he's uh, he's a pretty good actor, too. Yeah, he's in a bunch of stuff, like Den of Thieves, Longshot, Godzilla, King of Monsters, Just Mercy, but I fell in love with him in Ingrid Goes West. If you haven't seen yeah. that, that movie, I'd say go check think, him out on that. I think he had one of my favorite line deliveries in this episode. What is that? When when he said, uh, you know, like every kid who can float a rock between here and Coruscant is in danger, like that whole sentiment uh, and that weariness and, and all of that, like it really sold the desperation of the situation they're in and how special Obi-Wan isn't at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And he's too pro- high profile. He could he could take this thing tumbling down. Yeah. Which I actually think is actually interesting, too, because until this moment, the stakes of this were that Darth Vader could kill Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Or Darth Vader could realize that Leia is his daughter. And we know those two things do not happen. Yeah. But now the stakes of this is... The Inquisitors could go screw everything up for these people who are trying yeah. to help. And, it's, and I think it also... There's also kind of like... Uh, goes hand in hand with like uh, what we see in Rogue One is like the state of the rebellion is very delicate. Like it's it's not this you know very strong alliance of people yet. It's very much a ragtag team of people who are just doing their best to survive and fight against the Empire. And it's it's not at all you know the the rebel alliance that it becomes in the original trilogy. Yeah, I do like how Roken calls uh, Obi Wan Ben. Uh, he calls him General Kenobi. Just like uh, you mentioned Leia does in A New Hope. Yeah, I think they forward a lot of his um, Jedi-ness, whether that's giving him the Jedi clothes, where which is a really interesting choice. Like, they've been helping enough Jedi to just have spare Jedi robes uh, that he picks those to go, but also referring to him as a general and trying to bring him back into the fight in those ways, or at least remind him that there's a fight to be had. I also do wonder, though, like... I'm not sure Jedi robes are quite as unique as we think they are because I feel like a lot of people on Tatooine and like sand planets and stuff like that wear similar garb and like there's probably a certain specific style to Jedi robes but I think that like he's not necessarily always like wearing full-on Jedi attire. I mean that's always been like one of the huge criticisms of the prequels (laughs) was like you know they they made it so that you know, until the prequels, we didn't know that those were Jedi robes. This I mean, actually, that explanation actually really, like, him putting on the more Jedi robes like this actually fixes one of the things that I think is one of the the minor tweaks that, that Ryan Johnson had to work around in Last Jedi is that, like, Luke is completely eschewed the Jedi. Why is he wearing these Jedi robes? And Ryan Johnson has him change his clothes, like, immediately and seeing obi-wan actually put on something that is more jedi like rather than something more like desert rat like um is interesting it's like okay i'm showing up for church now yeah by the way didn't the book uh, explain the whole luke jedi robes thing like he was going to like he put them on and he was gonna like commit suicide or something I think he was, he was thinking about it. I mean, yeah. it, part, it was very much that, like, maybe I should go do a religious ceremony kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Roken mentions that he had a wife who was found by the Inquisitors. 
Uh, do you think his wife was a Jedi or just force sensitive? I, I maybe, maybe both. Yeah, like, well, I mean, first one, then the other. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I think, I think that it's, I think there's a possibility, and I think that there's that that tension in his voice when he talks about like any kid floating a rock, right? Again, implying that like it doesn't matter. The Empire's coming after all of them equally. Okay, here's where I put my tinfoil hat on. This is something I actually don't believe, but I'm going to bring it up just for the sake of it. He never says that his wife is dead. He just says that they were found by the Inquisitors. Is there any chance his wife is Reva? Yeah. You actually think there's a chance? Man, I mean, they, they again, like they brought Darth Maul back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's your explanation for everything, Brian. But, you know what? As soon as I bought into that, because I was, I, I was not a fan of that choice until I watched, started watching it play out. Yeah. And it's like they can do any ridiculous goddamn thing they want as long as they explain it sufficiently for me. And like, sure, Maul fueled by his hate of the dark side. Cool, that can keep him alive. Sure. How does his biology work at that point without a lower half? Don't know. Uh, hatred, sure. Uh, but but like anything anything is on the table now with stuff like that. But I think that there's something more to Riva, and I don't know what it is. And that's as good an explanation as anything. But there's definitely more to her character that we're going to learn over the next couple of episodes, and that may, might very well be it. I mean, it would be age appropriate. So yeah. I yeah. It's more likely than than she she was one of those padawans. <laughs> okay, we'll get back to that later, Brian. Uh we also are introduced to Sully and a character named Wade. Uh I mean, we're kind of introduced to them. They have like one line each. And uh Sully is played by Maya uh I I don't want to mispronounce her last name. Erskine. I think she's the star writer and creator of pen 15 and Wade is played by Ryder writer McLaughlin and he's an actor and skateboarder and he is known for playing the fourth uh, the guy the character named fourth grade in Jonah Hill's mid 90s so um, Obi-Wan plans the suicide mission to infiltrate the fortress and he's going with Tala and Tala is uh, I'm going to fast forward a little bit here. Uh, Tala is stopped at security trying to walk into the fortress, but uses the the fear. Like, I feel like the, you know, the Empire operates on fear, and that's the way she's able to, to get past them, which I thought was kind of fun. Um, she guides Obi-Wan into the fortress underwater, and he's using... Well, it looks to be that same device from Phantom Menace that he uses on Naboo to breathe underwater. And he takes out a stormtrooper, but doesn't steal his armor as a disguise. I, th I thought he was going to. And so now we're on, we're in the fortress section of this episode. Uh, Riva tries to use the force to steal the information she needs from Leia's mind. But Leia poses to be too powerful. And th here's the moment I want to bring up that uh, over the past week, Brian had this thread about Last Jedi on Twitter, which, uh, you know, was retreated by Ryan Johnson. It's a very insightful, uh, you know, I'll link it in the show notes because there's a lot of interesting observations there. 
But one piece I wanted to bring up here, Brian, is your your theory that Leia uses the Force in every movie she's been in. Yeah. No, I think that there's no two ways about that, and I think this reinforces that. Um, my thread was really about The Last Jedi and sort of some of the, the common complaints. And one of the common complaints, at least before Rise of Skywalker came out, was that, well, Leia, we've never seen Leia use the Force. Why would she be able to just, like save herself in space um regardless that like we've been uh we've grown up on a steady diet of x-men all uh you know stressful situations bringing out the most powerful powers that they have and knowing that they you know just sort of instinctual instinctively knowing that stuff works but leia has i think in every movement movie subsequent to last jedi used the force and my argument for A New Hope is that Leia uses the Force in A New Hope by resisting Vader's mind probe. And I think this bears that out. In Empire, it's because she knows where Luke is. In Jedi, she knows that that her, she and Luke were, were siblings and she senses Luke alive after the destruction of the Death Star. And then in Force Awakens, obviously, she, she senses Han's death from across the galaxy. I think we've seen other things, too, that are a lot more oblique. But, yeah, I think Leia's been strong in the Force in every Star Wars movie. Yeah, that's something I never really thought about. And I thought that was a... I mean, that was probably not the most insightful observation you had in your thread. But it's just something I, I thought was more it was relevant to this conversation. So, uh, But go check that out. I'll link that in the show notes. Uh Leia lets Lola free to attack Riva, but she's too smart to let that happen. And I honestly thought in the moment that Riva was going to use the force to like destroy the droid, to like just like crush it with her mind. And I was surprised that she didn't, but we learn later why. Um, but okay, here, here's where things come back a little bit, Brian. <laughs> Okay. Here's here's a line from her to Leia. She says, "Quote: I had a droid when I was younger too. It was taken from me like everything else." And then uh, she, she she says, "I know what it is like being alone." I think I think we're getting some insight here that is is going to. I, 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 I'm I'm trying to propose this theory, and I think this this goes towards towards my theory. Um, she even says to Leia, Kenobi is gone. The people you're trying to protect are not coming for you. The only person who can save you now is you. I think she's talking about herself. I think this is a Padawan that was at the Jedi Temple when Order 66 was called, that Kenobi sent out the signal telling everybody to not come back to Coruscant, that everything was, you know, uh, I forget what he said in that... Um, that whole thing but basically he she feels like he abandoned her and she i don't know i feel like there's there's subtext here what, what do you think Brian? no i think there's definitely subtext i think that's as equally um compelling to think that maybe she had um i i, I don't think that that leaves her as a jedi right because she'd be too young to remember a droid in, in that sort of capacity when she's young, if she's trying to relate to Leia at that age and she's actually telling the truth, she'd have been taken much younger. Um, and I don't see a lot of Jedi in the temple having their own droids. 
Um, but I think it actually lends more credence to the possibility that maybe maybe she was taken as a kid to the Inquisitor, the Inquisitorious, or um, that she something had happened to her when she was a kid and she was alone and she found uh, her husband, or she was a, a an older Padawan who fleed during the Jedi Order, met her husband, was taken by them. Uh, and then did that. I don't know. Any of it lines up any of the, to make yeah. any of them possible. Yeah, cause, well, because well, wasn't there there was a li- uh, a line early in the um, thing from I want to say it was Soon King's character that that she's she's like an orphan, isn't she? Um, he said something like she's the least of them or something like that. Yeah. Which yeah, which is um, weird because I thought they were like the you know she's third sister, but there's. Isn't there like fifth sister? So you'd think the fifth sister would be the least of them. Well, and there's the seventh sister in Rebels or as well. Seventh sister, yeah. So I do like the idea of her being at the Jedi Temple as a Jedi in training and maybe stumbling upon the message that was sent to the Jedi for not not to come back and her seeing that message from Obi Wan and conceiving it as him abandoning everybody and her and that's like her that's why she has like such a vendetta against against him i have more to to pile on to that theory but we'll get to that later um so leia tells reva that she'll reveal where they are but uh she needs to tell her father first because of course they're all on the right side uh, the same side right and uh you know just proving that she's clever and um you know it's kind of a mirror of what she did in a new hope a little bit uh it's, it uh so instead she's tortured for the information and right before she's actually going to get tortured uh tala is uh, obi-wan basically Actually, I guess I'm fast forwarding, am I? Tyler is questioned by an Imperial officer, which adds to the tension because Ben is no longer able to have his like eye in the sky watching and guiding him through uh, this fortress. And I, I think the tension in this episode is just like so expertly done in that way, especially with like her coming back to the comlink and trying to contact him. And just in the moment where two stormtroopers are like doing their patrol by and like they hear i don't know I, I just thought this whole this whole sequence was kind of fun it was really well designed uh, across the board from writing to editing to execution and cinematography and the sound design like they were just firing on all cylinders for that i think yeah uh so obi-wan finds an area area in the bottom of the fortress which has two stories of amber slabs all of them containing what appear to be dead Jedi or force sensitive people. So the question I have to you guys, are the Inquisitors keeping a collection of dead Jedi or force users for their collection? Like they, I'm not sure if people have noticed, but in the other, like the area where they, all the um, Inquisitors meet, there's all these lightsabers like surrounding them in like a like red light, which I'm yeah. assuming has to be the lightsabers of Jedi they've killed. Yeah, the trophies. Trophies. So, do you, Brad? Do you think these are trophies? Yeah, I think it's the same thing of like the same way that hunters put up the heads of the animals they've killed in their you know a special hunting room and mount them on their wall. This is exactly what the inquisitors think, are doing. I think there's more to it than that though too. I think if you um, if ever you remember rebels, but like they used the bodies of the Jedi to um, lure other Jedi 
right? Like you, if you remember Lu Master Luminara Unduli, uh, her body, her corpse is found by Kanan as a trap by the Inquisitors. Like they use her, the force essence, essence of her corpse to, or the, the presence that she had to lure him in there so that they can trap him. And that maybe, maybe there's enough of a lure with all of them there, but that they have them trapped in case they do need to use them for something like that. I was going to say, why would they want to lure the Jedi to the uh, the, the fortress? <laughs> because this is where, like, what Hera uh, Hera tells everybody when Kanan gets captured and they take him to Mustafar that this this is this is where Jedi go to die. Mm. Um, and I mean, like, if you're going to have Jedi show up, you're going to want it like a where Vader's close by because they're a moon of Mustafar, and b where there's a whole bunch of Inquisitors. <laughs> I mean, that's a good point. Uh, I know uh, heavy spoilers on YouTube had a theory about this, that they're being stored in this way so that Palpatine can learn about how to clone their Metachlorians because we've obviously seen some of that in The Mandalorian. We've seen some of that in you know, Rise of Skywalker. So I think they'd be at Mount Tannis at that point, which they've introduced in the Bad Batch. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right there. Um, did we recognize anybody in the slabs? Yeah, so so there's one of them that might be. Uh, there's no confirmation of it. At the very same, at the very least, uh, they're from the same species. But the one on the right that you first see could be Coleman Kaj, who is an Angri, and he was in. Um, he was in. I think. I think. Um, Revenge of the Sith and some episodes of the Clone Wars. Um, but the big one, the only one that that is immediately recognizable as the character uh and and i i kind of had some some confirmation of that was master tara sanub which is the one that that obi-wan kind of looks at and says this is a tomb and if you remember tara sanub uh he he his first major appearance was on the clone wars in the episode called lightsaber lost which was a remake of akira kurosawa's stray dog yeah, and he plays the Takashi Shimura character to Ahsoka's Toshiro Mifune character, and he's just a very old sort of wily uh, detective who's sort of tapped into the Coruscant underworld, and he carries a cane, and his cane is his lightsaber, and he's made appearances as a much younger man uh, in the High Republic, and then in the Dooku audio drama, we learned that he actually had in the Hawkbat clan as younglings, Master Sifo-Dyas and Count Dooku in the same sort of group of younglings. I mean, th th this seems all plausible because, like, it seems like, you know, they went to Pablo and they're like, we need to have a Jedi that's proven to be killed in Order 66 that will not info in interfere with anything that we're planning on doing. And it fe yeah. feels like he fits the bill. Yeah, yeah. And he's also, he's got some weight, too. Like, he was a very revered master by everybody and it would it would have um it would hit it would hit obi-wan with a weight right like yeah. it's somebody that obi-wan knew it's somebody that we've seen obi-wan interact with and people close to obi-wan interact with he was a very well-respected member of the jedi council for hundred or, or at least the jedi order um for hundreds of years and uh it 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 says a lot actually for those of you for those who like dig that little bit deeper i mean otherwise it's just like oh it's a dead jedi that sucks <laughs> um but but there yeah there's some gravitas there yeah okay another thing we see is we see a young jedi padawan and 
Weirdly, this youngling is credited in the credits to two young brothers, Jonathan and Oliver Ho. And I thought this was weird because, I mean, it's not uncommon to have twin brothers uh, in shows or movies to film to get around like child labor laws. You can basically, you know, have one of them work while the other is not working. Uh, But this time it seems weird because it's this actor, this young actors in one or this, these young actors are in one single shot for a total of, you know, just a couple seconds. So why have two brothers play this role? This got, this made me go down uh, my, you know, my research hole, Brian. And what I discovered when I put their names into IMDb is that these two actors also played one of the younglings from the first scene of the first episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's actually what I was gonna guess. Is that that they probably have to put both their names because maybe they played a character, uh, this character, but then another character in the previous yeah. scene, and so. But I'm guessing I, my my guess that goes even further than that, Brad, is my guess is that they needed the uh, you know a a twin child actors because there's probably a scene later on that we're gonna see another flashback. Uh, to the Jedi Padawans. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brian. I'm, I'm just pushing this theory. That uh, you would need to have, you know, t- twin actors to be able to, you know, facilitate the, the filming requirements. Because it's a... What's crazy is that youngling is actually uh, Dauphin Carr, who we've seen in uh, episode 12 of Star Wars. No, I'm just totally kidding. I'm just wondering. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> is that what I sound like? <laughs> no, you sound uh, knowledgeable. Like, you know what you're talking about. So... <laughs> I just wanted to sound like the smart one for a second. <laughs> okay, well, um, Obi-Wan has Tala create a distraction so that Leia isn't tortured, and she tells uh, Riva the the path is based in Florum, which is a planet we've heard of before, Brian. Yeah, yeah. There's actually another planet that got name dropped too that you skipped, but yeah, Florum was in Clone Wars. Um, Clone Wars that was Hondo Onaka's sort of base of operations, and everything that sort of happened around Hondo and his early appearances were on Florum, and actually that's where he captured Dooku, Anakin, and Obi-Wan, and the three of them all had to work together to escape in those episodes of Clone Wars on Florum. Um, the other planet that got name-dropped, Riva says that uh, they first heard of the path from a transmission on Balnab, which is actually hilarious if you go back and watch the episode where it it takes place. Um, because it's it's one of the more silly episodes of the Clone Wars, and Balnab is the planet where R2 and 3PO sort of crash land in a Y-Wing, and they find this um, sort of very primitive uh, race of people with four arms uh, sort of worshipping this giant head uh, that's a hologram. And it's sort of a Wizard of Oz thing. And they're sort of like... They're really well-meaning, but foolish, and it's actually just three pit droids that are operating the holographic head to become the dictator of this planet. <laughs> um, so it's it's actually funny when she, she gives that gravitas, like, oh, we intercepted this transmission from Balnab and learned about the path, and it's like, that planet sucks. That's hilarious. <laughs> that is funny. I didn't even, I didn't even get that connection. So that's why you funny. got me here. Yeah. Um, okay, so of course, uh, Riva says, uh, sees through this whole charade and realizes that Tala has infiltrated the First Order to help the path. 
And Tala makes a good pitch that she was a spy for the Empire and infiltrated the path. Uh, and uh, I like the line that she has here. I do like a good liar. I don't know if you're lying to me or for me, but we'll see. Which I thought was a, a good bit of dialogue. Um, so while this happens, the, the lights in the torture chamber go out. And there's this awesome action scene where Ben takes out two of the stormtroopers with uh, much of the light being provided by the lightsaber uh, that he ignites in the room. Uh, I thought that was a, a cool cinema, a cool cinema, a cinematography. When I'm talking about the cool cinematography of this episode, that's like one of the moments. Um, did uh, either of you have anything to say about that whole sequence? I thought it was rad. Yeah, I enjoyed it the same way that you did, Peter. <laughs> Thank you. It, uh, it reminded me a lot of what... Um, it reminded me a lot of how George Lucas actually filmed that final fight with Dooku and Anakin in Attack of the Clones. How so? Just with the the, the ambient light coming only from the lights. Oh, yeah. Uh, ben and Leia are spotted by a seeker droid, and the alarms ring around the fortress, and of course it's that same um, that alarm that we hear in all of Star Wars. <laughs> yes. I should have that as my like alarm clock alarm. You'll get mad at it real quick. <laughs> so uh, Riva goes to investigate and allows Tala to escape. And we get this cool action scene in a windowed corridor between Ben, some stormtroopers, a seeker droid. Um, is there anything to say here? I mean, well, well, they introduced the purge trooper for the first time since the the video game right i think the, I, I think so yeah i don't yeah. think i don't think we've seen them much um what are purge troopers because i i have not played the game so i don't even know i mean they they, they almost I, I thought at first they might be death troopers but they're a little different looking um they were troopers um that 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 vader led using the inquisitorious like basically they're like elite um, stormtroopers that are basically trained to help hunt Jedi. Ooh, Jedi hunting stormtroopers. I like it. Yeah. Um, and also I understand that in Jedi Fallen Order, there's a whole action scene between Cal and Vader in a corridor like this that kind of ends in a similar, similar fashion. Yeah. Um, that was actually for me. I didn't actually expect Vader to be in the game at all. So seeing him just like you're in the Inquisitor, the Fortress Inquisitorious, and some doors open, it's like holy shit, Vader's there. I'm dead. Like there's no way to get through this. <laughs> um, it was actually a pretty, a really, really well crafted moment of narrative and gameplay in the game. Yeah, and it's in one of those corridors, and the water's surrounding you, and it's filling up, and it's it's bad news. Yeah, here Ben uses the force to hold the crack in the glass and then later directing it towards the troopers. And he narrowly escapes as the do uh, through the doors to safety. And I guess my only real criticism of this episode, or actually one of my two criticisms of this episode, is the bad CG in this moment. But, but it's fine. It, it got the job done. Uh, I do love the shot of the drowned dead troopers floating in the corridor after they, they close the doors, though. Although I will say it seemed like they drowned suspiciously quickly. Uh, yeah, I guess. Good point. Good point. 
You think they, they would have really like in that armor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen a stormtrooper try to sit in the armor? It's funny. That's a good point. Um, the fifth brother is pissed, and he's on a mission to have the third sister punished for this. I will say that my I think my least liked part of the series so far is this infighting between the the um, inquisitors. It just seems like kind of too on the nose or too I don't know. I'm just not into it. Um, uh, Riva uh, and her squad of perch troopers and stormtroopers confront them on the landing platform, and. Uh, Two T forty seven air speeders swoop in to save them. We've seen these before. Where Brian? So these are from uh, the Empire Strikes Back. These T forty sevens were the fighters that they had trouble adapting to the cold and were eventually used by Rogue Squadron to bring down the ATATs on Hoth. I think there's a throwaway line earlier in the episode that makes this even cooler, though is uh, Obi-Wan's like, you've got those T-47s in the hangar, and they're like, they're for hauling sewage. <laughs> and so when you think that the Re- Rebellion is so much scrappier, when you when you see them and sort of visualize that, and remember that now all of a sudden those harpoons and tow cables make a lot of sense. They're not for AT-ATs, they're for sewage hauling. That is, yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's, that's a good point. Um, so a stray blast hits a mouse droid, and now it's on fire. And um, maybe that's why the most storage was in the, the the Star Wars intro for the first three episodes of Obi Wan. Just just saying, could have been could have been <laughs> probably isn't. Okay, uh, they escape in Sully's land speeder, uh, but they Riva force lifts a fuel cell, hurls it at Wade, killing him, and Vader is pissed. Force chokes her before she reveals that she placed a tracker on them, and. Sully breaks the news to Roken that Wade is dead, and it's this really, um, I think it's trying to be this, like, really down emotional moment. I mean, it, I mean, it's obvious that this crew is, like, so small that losing one person is, I mean, especially, you know, a loved one that you are working so hard in the cause with uh, is devastating. But even having such a small crew, it's, it's, it's not like a big army. Uh you get the sense that this is just a, a major blow to them. But I, my biggest criticism of this episode is that we were so quickly introduced to the character and we don't know him at all. I think he has like one line in the whole episode, maybe two. And I feel like it's supposed to hit us emotionally and it doesn't. I mean, like I kind of feel the same way about Biggs in the original cut <laughs> of the new hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Um, on the other hand, you have this wonderfully sweet moment at the end of the episode with Leia taking Ben's hand. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's consoling him too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that's probably, yeah. Uh, in the end, reveals that Loa is now acting as a tracker for the Empire, and we know this because its eyes blink red and it's evil, and that's how you know that things are evil, because their eyes blink red. And uh, <laughs> Brad, do you have any final thoughts on this episode? Uh, no. Pretty good episode. Pretty good show so far. And uh, yeah, I'm just... I, For me, I think the biggest draw you know, is 
seeing what this final confrontation between uh, Obi-Wan and Vader is going to be like. You know, it's it has to be, uh, you know, a big deal. Um, and it has to, like, leave them in a place where, like, they are even, maybe even more estranged than they were before, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's, for me, that's, like, the, the most exciting thing that's, uh, upcoming. Um, but, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, there's a lot of unanswered questions, too, you know, that I'm, that I'm curious about. But, uh, it'll be, it'll be cool to see what happens. What are your, let's jump into speculation. What are your unanswered questions? Well, I mean, obviously they're leaving, you know, uh, Reva's identity and like her background to be a little bit mysterious. I'm curious to see how that ties into everything. Um, I, I do wonder, and a lot of fans are kind of hoping and expecting this now too, if there's going to be some kind of tie-in to that sets up uh, the next Star Wars uh, Jedi video game, which is uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Um, and I, so a lot of people are hoping that they'll somehow lead into maybe a potential live action spinoff series that has, uh, Cameron Monaghan's Cal Kestis character, uh, coming into live action at some point, which I think would be kind of interesting, but, um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's pretty much all I have. Do you, do either of you think we're going to see Cal in live action in this season? I think it's probably more likely that this will this will just serve as like fuel that like feeds some of the story threads in the next video game and uh, but you know I I never necessarily would have thought that they would have incorporated so many of the things from the any of the animated series into live action and, and here we are so you know who knows uh, there's been some speculation some reports uh, from some sites like making Star Wars that Disney is even though they have promoted this as a limited series a mini series that they're now planning to make some kind of season two or spinoff wanted to hear your thoughts on that brian do you think there will be i'm guessing it's not gonna be a season two i think it's gonna be like some kind of spinoff you think that that's in the cards i think that would be cool i think there's definitely characters that they've introduced i would love to see more stuff like they've they've set up that they can bring back anything right we could have another season about Owen and Baru on Tatooine and, and <laughs> well, no, I mean, seriously, like if they're going to follow Kenobi, we assume he's probably not going to leave the planet again. Yeah. And the way they hyped the trailers, it felt like most of this would be happening on Tatooine and virtually none of it has. And there's a whole bunch of material to mine about how Obi-Wan fits in this new paradigm on Tatooine. Right. But then there's also the adherence of the path and these people helping whisk these Jedi away and escaping with them. And there's Quinlan Voss, right? Like if this did nothing, but even just name drop Quinlan Voss to give us a show of him, like terrassing across the galaxy, saving younglings and smuggling them through like Imperial checkpoints and stuff. I'm all in on something like that. Or maybe it could follow Tala and like how she's in charge of all of that stuff. Um, there's there's a lot of possibilities here. It could also follow the Inquisitors as they in that period between this and Rebels. Um, there's there's limitless possibilities of stories that they could tell, and they could. I mean, if they're going to label it Obi Wan Kenobi, it'll probably happen on Tatooine. But if they label it anything else, like the Path of the Jedi or something like that, it could it could do that, and then that's how it could bring in Cal Kestis. Yeah, I don't think that you can do another series that focuses on obi-wan kenobi because the the more you do with obi-wan 
the harder it gets to fit that stuff into canon and i think it's also challenging to make that super interesting you know i mean the, the scope of the show itself is already pretty small um and there's not necessarily any big stakes because we know how it's going to end up and so i think if you have to if you make it even smaller by relegating obi-wan to staying on tatooine it's not necessarily going to be the most exciting thing and it gets harder to reconcile his history and story uh in the larger canon so i, I think a spin-off is definitely the way to go if you want to continue where the story started well, i i think that there's a lot of material to mine like in that struggle between owen and and ben and just the ecosystem of tatooine but it, it does feel like they tread some of the same ground like with the Tuscans and and stuff like that with Book of Boba Fett that they could have done here with Ewan McGregor. Yeah, and honestly, that's that really just sounds boring to me. <laughs> have, you read, uh, you know. have you read John Jackson Miller's Kenobi book? It's really terrific and mostly just that. That's fair. But but I, it is I, it is a but book. it is a book. Yeah. Yes. I feel like as a book you can do something like that, but as a a Disney Plus as an event series, I feel like it might not work but I, I, we would I, all watch you and mcgregor reading the phone book. oh oh i i would i would be there <laughs> oh yeah for sure um i i think it's not gonna be an obi-wan series i think my pitch i think i said this last week is maybe a darth vader series because uh hayden has been saying that he wants to have vader series and there's been speculation that he will be appearing as darth vader in other shows like the ahsoka show we don't know if that's true um but it i don't know like I, i'm not sure what what that series is it's is it him dealing with his inquisitors and trying to find uh shut down this path I, like is is that enough for a darth vader sh show i don't know i think you'd need to bring palpatine into that and they've mined a lot of that material in the comics where Palpatine's basically just testing Vader constantly and just keeping him on his toes. Yeah. I guess my, my worry is if they did a Vader show is I feel like you can't redeem him during this period. I mean, they obviously did redeem him in the original trilogy, but I feel like at this period of time, he's such a monster and you can't, he can't not be a monster. What, what do you think, Brian? Um, I think it's hard. Like, I don't think we're going to... I think the worst we've seen Vader capable of is going to be on this show at the height of how awful he is for that reason, because we're going to want to believe that we can redeem him. But also, like, I'm already struggling with, like, whether or not I show my, my six-year-old or seven-year-old um, this show, because I think it's a little darker than anything we've seen i think that that vader in this is darker than anything we've seen him in and that includes revenge of the sith and it's given me pause i mean it, definitely in what they show i think what is insinuated with anakin going in uh with no, the jedi padawan is, is, is absolutely is... right it, that that is a fair point but like he snapped that dad in that kid's neck <laughs> yeah like on screen brutally um, I don't have anything else in speculation. Is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about before we we cap this this up? I don't think so. No. Okay. Well, we will return next week 
with the penultimate episode, our, our spoiler-filled reaction to that. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, speculation, you can send it to peter at uh, You know, uh, maybe tell me why they're changing the Star Wars intro in the beginning. I'm, I'm very curious about that, apparently. Um, you can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And uh, please head on over to Apple Podcasts. If, if you enjoy this podcast, uh, we don't ask uh, anything of you more than you know your time and enjoyment. But if you, you could ha- spend 10 seconds of your time to go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review, that will help us out quite a bit. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.